0: Hey, this is Max McGill, director of Teen Spirit. Over the next few weeks, the filmmakers will be talking to our friends about the movie and also not about the movie. This week, Lynette Howell sits down of La La Land and Teen Spirit producer Fred Berger to talk about the ins and outs of making movies with music and also to give away a lot of behind-the-scenes stories they probably should. Stay tuned.
1: I just want to shoot the shit with you. About I know. Everything.
0: So it's March 8th. It's about two weeks from the epic performance between Bradley and Gaga on the stage. How do you feel?
1: I know, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be interviewing you. That's not how this is going to work. Um, that was more
0: interesting. Um, um, <laughs> what was uh, what was the Oscars like? What was that performance like? Were you nervous uh, that they were using to Well, know, Bradley's since you are a veteran <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
1: <laughs> of all of this. Um, uh, it was amazing. It was, it was such a great, it's so much fun to go through it all. You know, it's so much fun to go through the the whole journey of it. And, um, and, uh, and by the time you, you get to the Oscars, cause there's so many other events leading up to it, you, you know, so many of the people involved in all the movies and, and, um, and you feel very connected into all the movies and all the different people. And, uh, you know, and I think it was just, it was such a wonderful way to end our run on such a on a high note, pun intended. Like it really was, <laughs> it really was. Like it was. I was really proud of him. I was really proud of Bradley because I think it's it takes balls to get up in front of your peers and in front of the world and sing live when you know, you know. I mean, he is a musician um, and he is a singer, but he but that's not his career. You know, that's not what he does. And and um, and I think it was incredibly brave um you know and I love that he directed the whole thing I love that it was all you know from the lighting to the way the piano came out to the way that the cameras were moving I mean it was just it was all exactly as it was in in the movie and it was great it was awesome I don't think people
0: appreciate how insane that is because you only have something to lose with a performance like that as yeah. an actor, you know, although uh, I'm sure both of our movies uh, feature live singing in the movie, you still get to do more takes and figure out in the edit if it works. And yeah, you're protected in that moment if he if he missed, the whole world was watching and like wrapped.
1: No, and they and they, that, and, they like, and it could have cast like a, yeah, and it could have cast like a shadow over yes. the movie, and and you know, and and um, and also because you know, I mean, he he spent you know a year. Really training his voice to become Jackson Maine. I mean, he wasn't singing as Bradley Cooper in *Star Is Born*. He was singing as Jackson Maine with this completely different register that he'd spent a, a lot of time on. And and and, but by the time the Oscars came around, he's Bradley Cooper again. He was not Jackson Maine, and so, you know, I think he debated for a while whether to do it, mostly for that reason. He was like, "I've never sung this song." as Bradley Cooper. I've only ever sung it as Jackson Maine and that, that's a very different thing for him to do.
0: Well, 100%. I think people don't realize how much singing is a muscle that you have to train yeah. just like gearing up for the Super Bowl. You have yeah. to, you know, gearing up for these movies, it is months and months of preparation and exercise and getting you the strength of your vocal cords and, and your ability and and really preparedness for the day. And then the second you shoot that number, you lo- you throw it all out the window because you don't need it anymore and it's gone. And so for a year later to kill it on that level and on that stage is uh is pretty impressive yeah
1: it was great i was really i was really proud and happy for for both of them they did a dry um, run in yeah.
0: vegas right that little surprise thing he did maybe.
1: a dry run in vegas but that was more a like he went to see her show and and he wanted to you know he wanted to get up there and do it with so her fun. and and i mean that was like that wasn't rehearsed that was i mean he literally just went up there and in his baseball cap and and did it on her stage and um that's Bradley. You know, yeah, I mean, he, he he's a pretty fearless individual, you know, to be honest. so.
0: Um, well, I'm so psyched we're talking because my good friend Lynette Howell here. <laughs> 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 um, well, we've known each other for a long time. We made a lot of scrappy little indie movies and some bigger movies. And and there's a sort of fraternity and sorority of, of producers who do what we do in a really hands-on way. And I think, like, anytime I see you... Or Bruno or Alex, you know people who really get in there. I think I feel like we can drown in conversation because we have war stories that turn into yeah. fun stories. But specifically now, that we've both made movies with music at the heart. Like the thing I always say about music movies or making movies that are music driven in whatever capacity is they're ten times as hard and a hundred times as fun. You know, <laughs> absolutely. I, I mean, they re- they really are.
1: And I, you know, I just want to start by saying how much I love Teen Spirit. Like I oh, think it you. is such a enjoyable fun and emotional movie i was sobbing my heart out at the end <laughs> and and i was so with her um and also being british i i you know i just i connected into that kind of like small town british sensibility um and it's awesome to just be here and. Chat. I mean, you and I We have to be afraid. We have to be careful. This podcast can go on for like <laughs> yeah, eight hours. We, we have to editors. keep it contained. Um, but I want to know because, like, I find your career endlessly fascinating to me. <laughs> in the way that you know, I've you know, it's it's always it's always great to talk to other producers about how they got to where they are. Because producing, in some ways, is such an isolating and lonely business. Even if you have partners, even when you have partners in your companies or mm-hmm. on your movies, you know the journey for each of us is is so unique and specific. And there never is a roadmap. It's you know when when young aspiring producers say to me, "So how do I become a producer?" I, there is no answer. It's just like, well, I don't know how to become a producer. I can tell you how I did it. Um, you know, and so I'm 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 not going to ask you how you. I'm not going to ask you to like spend 2 hours telling me how you did it but but I I do want to know how you got involved in this particular movie um and obviously because you're you you know you produce La La Land you obviously have that experience in musicals but it, there's so much more to this movie than just the music aspect of it. And so, what drew you to the project?
0: 100. Well, actually, I'm. Uh, I was involved with this movie before Lawland was made, um, and I had met Max before, well before Laland was anywhere near production or even felt like it had a chance of getting into production. Um, I was just introduced to Max by some of his agents as sort of a general. Uh, you know, you guys should know each other. I was sort of a young hustling. Producer, which is to say, I was trying and failing to get movies made, and he, with Jamie Bell, who was a collaborator on this movie as well, was trying to get another another film, another project made. That was the impetus of our meeting. We had a great coffee. We were both at the same coffee shop for about half an hour looking for each other and realized we were both there. And then so our meeting was really rushed. But in that in in the half hour that we got together, um, there was like an immediate connection and an affinity and and it's hard to put a finger on exactly why, but we just were speaking about movies in the same terms with the same depth of like passion. And, and, you know, Max, I think for a long time, and he is such a passionate filmmaker and artist. And I could tell from his work because already he had been producing and writing as well as acting, but especially sitting down that there was a real filmmaker there. And it's not only because of the tradition of his father, obviously as a great filmmaker or as his mother as a great choreographer, but, uh, just, Someone who's so profoundly passionate about storytelling and had a precision of vision that he was sort of desperate to express. And we just, and there was sort of a defiance also that I think we connected on as just like, let's try to do things a little differently and not put and not be boxed in by people's perceptions of what we're supposed to do as, as, you know, individual artists. And so we had just hit it off. And then didn't talk for a year, but remembered each other fondly. And then he had a few other projects and we reconnected, had coffee again and talked about various things. And actually he pitched me this movie. And when you meet Max, he's so articulate and erudite and sophisticated <laughs> and worldly. So when he pitches you up, you know, pop movie, it's sort of like, huh, like that's not that's not the expectation and kind of refreshing at the same time. What people should know is the movie that it's become is not where it started. It was a foreign language film set in Croatia. Um, that was deliberately not meant to have anyone that you recognize be completely in Croatian, or had we found an actress in Polish, would have been Poland But it was certainly not meant to be English speaking in any capacity. Um, and and so you knew you were going to make a foreign language movie with no star, with a first time director, and as a producer, that's sort of an insane oh, it's a piece hurdle. of cake. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like foreign sales are going to be through the roof. It'll get the investors lining up. It's going to be great. Um, by that point, I'd started working on La and We were sort of prepping the movie. And so one of the relationships I had was Interscope. Um, and they were putting out the soundtrack and the album on La which They were just amazing guys. John Janik, CEO, and uh, Tony Seiler over there. They're just like great guys who are passionate, as well as the music team of Marius DeVries, music producer, who had done Moulin Rouge and is kind of a legend. Uh, Steve Gazicki, music supervisor, and, and others. And... And what I started to, or at least my hunch about Teen Spirit was the the stars are not going to be the actors, but they're going to be the songs. And even a lot of people told us we should never make Lawland, they were... Ten thousand reasons why I could never connect, and original musicals about a city people hate, about music styles <laughs> people hate, and you know, two people who don't get together was just a folly. But we bet on the fact that people were addicted to, um, you know, music shows, uh, American Idol, X Factor, Dancing with the Stars. Like, there's a reason why those are consistently the by far the highest rated shows in every country in every language, because music. Provides an emotionality that you, it's hard to find in other forms. Yeah, and, totally. You know, I think Marvel movies and Gravity and others provide a spectacle that sort of get to some of that, but music and dance are just inherently visceral in a way that almost narrative can't achieve on its own. Um, so, on in both movies, we kind of said, "Let's hope that the music can do the work uh, that some of these other challenges or or perceived headwinds um, feel like uh, are in our way," and. You know, Max is a connoisseur of pop, a lover of the form in a really profound way, like not uh, he's not just a casual listener or he he admires it as an art form. And I do. I think it's operatic. Like, it's not a coincidence that the mentor, the sort of Mr. Miyagi of this movie is an opera singer because Mm -hmm. they both have a level of kind of melodrama that's deliberate and kind of beautiful. Like the best of pop is like even the music videos are soap operas, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of love that. Because they they don't shy away from their own grandiosity in a way, and at its best, and Max has a real ear and taste for the great pop versus the kind of frivolous pop that goes away in a month, that like gets recycled on the radio. Like when you think of "Dancing on My Own," or you think of "I Was a Fool," or even uh, you know Annie Lennox. Like these songs are timeless. None of there's only one contemporary song, which is the cigarette song at the end, which we came to really late. Every other song, when I hear, if, if I'm at a static party. People start dancing when "Dancing on My Own" comes out. The whole, no matter how sort of uh, stodgy the group is, they are bouncing, you know. Right. And and that applies to the whole soundtrack. has a real balance and taste that is thought through and deliberate, and was in the first draft of the script even as a foreign language. Um, so this is a long winded way of saying I was desperate to work with Max. The script, when I read it, was actually the confirmation because I was I approached it with skepticism. It sounded like something that would be bathed in kind of sentimentality and sort of tropes that would be all neatly tied up at the end and kind of a lack of taste, frankly. Um, and Max uh, is very humble, but he knows about himself that he's got taste and restraint. And what I love about the movie, and I wonder if you felt it in the execution, because it's something I'm really proud of him for achieving, is there is, it's hyper-stylized visually, although there's yes. a naturalistic quality. It's, it's you know, <laughs> the pop is loud and, you know, bombastic deliberately. But both in Elle's performance and in the storytelling, there's a restraint and a sense of tastefulness that I think balances it out and makes it cool, as opposed to uh, potentially really satisfying other version of a movie, but very glossy, very rote, and very kind of over the top expository sentimentality. Well, it it feels like
1: it feels very um, it feels very real. I mean, one of the things, the thing that I really sort of was drawn into, and the reason why you end up, you know sort of like crying at the end is because you you go on the journey with her like you're you're with her it feels real her life feels real um you know her background feels like something fresh we haven't seen you genuinely get a sense of oh this is actually what it's like to go through one of these singing competitions that now are you know we we all know about these singing competitions american idol and 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 and, and x factor and you know it's so much part of our pop culture that it's it's fascinating to sort of take a look at, you know, oh, this is really what it is like to, to kind of go through this, but from a character standpoint. And then, you know, he really does have such a sense of style. But the other thing that, you know, is the mark of a, a filmmaker where you feel like as soon as the movie starts, you feel like you're in safe hands with yes. them and you feel like you can trust them. Um, you know, his point of view is spot on. Like it's always you always know whose movie you're watching and why you're watching it and he he has such a strong point of view and you feel like he understands the medium. He understands where to put the camera. He he just he really understands that it's not style for style's sake. It's really um working in harmony with performance in the film. And um and that's you know that's that's remarkable um, for a first time feature director, you know, one of the things when i when I was one of the reasons why I wanted to make Star is born, um, and not just because when Bradley Cooper calls and asks you to do that, yeah. you just say yes as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> um, you know, it was because I'd never made a musical before and and I but I came from, I come from musical theater, like i I was trained in england musicals do you sing? i do not sing <laughs> um the best actually my my favorite story is that i you know i i auditioned because when you, you know when you're young and you don't know how to get into you're not really quite sure what it is that you want to do but for me like it was like arts performing just being around entertainment yeah. was was well, a draw
0: is not a word that's sort of offered up to people it is or not offered defined, up to people you know? it is
1: not offered up and 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 you know and so i you know i wanted to go to this university, so I auditioned to be like on the acting course, and I sang, and it was like <laughs> it was like horrified faces on I the other side of the tape. table. Oh boy! Um, but they, you know, but then I went and did what they call sort of like a management degree there, but it's really a producing degree, and and um, so Where I was, was that. It was at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. It was in Liverpool. Paul McCartney and John, Paul McCartney no turned his old boys' school. That he and John Lennon went to into a state of the art like small university. It's amazing. He was. And in, did you grow up in
0: Liverpool?
1: I grew up in Liverpool, yeah, and so so music was a big part of my life, and, and musical theater was a big part of my life. I worked in the West End. The reason I came to the US was to was to work in theater, musical theater. So I understood a lot about the way that the collaboration of of music and text worked together. Um, and especially musical theater, it's such a it's such a collaborative medium because you really have to have your composer, your book writer, your lyricist, your director. Everyone has to really be working in 100%. harmony with each other. It's not like right sing- from the beginning. Yeah. Right from the beginning, yeah. it's not singular vision the way that filmmaking Absolutely. is. It's very collaborative. And so, you know, I but I but it had been years since I had really been in that world. And so, what was exciting to me about A Star Is Born was doing something new. I always want to do what I'm producing, do something new. And yes, so, you know, totally. what was it about, you know, what experience did you come to La La Land with from a musical standpoint? And what did you learn during the, during the making of La La Land? And then how did that inform Teen Spirit? And was there stuff that you learned on Teen Spirit that you hadn't experienced on La La Land?
0: Well, it's a great question. And I'm actually very curious to hear how you're feeling now after having made a musical movie and how you want to apply that to future movies because that really was the drug for me. I I didn't come to movies to make musicals necessarily. Like this wasn't some, you know, Damien is encyclopedic about truly like classic musicals from the thirties to today's in every single one, good or bad. And he knows them encyclopedically and it was his great dream to make one. Uh, well, our gift as producers is we get to traffic in all different kinds of stories much more effortlessly than filmmakers or even actors. Sometimes we can make a horror movie, a comedy, a musical, a drama, a sci-fi movie with no kind of uh, confusion in terms of what box we we operate or in. Or risk. Yeah, exactly. Or risk. The risk yeah. is much lower. For, uh, 100%. For us. hundred percent. We're allowed to. We're allowed to fail in a different way than other artists. Absolutely. As well. um, I think we try not to, but yeah. it's still we're, we're <laughs> the permissiveness is uh, is there, um, and and yet. I do the way that, frankly, like Kubrick and Coen Brothers and Tarantino, like some of my favorite filmmakers, uh, sort of tackle different genres through their lens. I I love that new challenge. I always want to be making a movie that I haven't made before and learn. And one of my first movies was a horror film, and I'm not particular like horror aficionado either. Although when you start really researching the best of the genre you can get into, you realize there's no excuse for a bad version of any type of movie. Do you know what I mean? Any movie can be done well. Any movie can be done with artistry and also push the, the canon forward. And so when Damien described his sort of dream ambition of making a musical, it got me and Jordan incredibly energized, especially because it sort of coupled a reverence, uh, an homage for the past, but a a foot definitely in modernity and how to push the entire sort of form forward a step that was the and he hadn't written whiplash it was kind of the audacity of, of three people sort of talking in terms that we never thought we'd have a right to to shoot and execute um after you go through that and max and i often talk about it like I imagine Eng Lee after Life of Pi was like, oh, now I know how to do this. Let me do it again. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I don't know that to be the case. But I think you go through the fire the first time and Laland really benefited from our inexperience because... We, bought, we brought kind of a naive, uh, defiant arrogance to everything I feel we that way did. about raising children, too, yeah, by the way. <laughs>
1: totally. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm sorry, the first one, but the second and third, I'm definitely <laughs> going to get right.
0: That's exactly right. I'm on my first. Lynette somehow is on her third in the middle of all of this, so you're literally a superhero. Um, I want to get your advice on how, how you pulled that off. Um, where are they right now? <laughs> Who's taking care I of them? I have
1: no idea. I have no idea where they are.
0: Um, but but it's true, yeah You get through the first one You're like, oh yeah I can, now I can change the diaper I'm going to go back to it And that's sort of What making musicals like Because there are so many elements And we benefited from The the six years of people Saying no to us on La Land Was the biggest gift we had Because we had time To just perfect everything Within what, you know What we felt was refined And that was Justin Hurwitz writing little piano demos the way you'd write a treatment before you write a script. It's like tiny little sketches that Damien would direct a hundred out of a hundred and one. And then he would send the, the hundred and first to us. And then we would give notes and then we were writing the treatment alongside that. So the story and the music were evolving together. And and then, and then we brought in Marius who really, you know, sort of took the process to another level because he took our kind of, you know, uh, ideas and just pure, pure creativity and channeled it into something more production friendly. And then we, we keep building that infrastructure and apparatus. Um, and, you know, by the end of the process, we had spent so much time in a music studio. Also, Ryan and Emma were prepping in our production office for three months. They really were so committed to doing the work the way I'm sure Bradley and Gaga were. Um, and watching that infrastructure with our choreographer and our entire team and the cadence of the regular film prep with the music prep which involves pre-records and choreography and then rehearsals on location to make sure anything that involves a dance component is working plus how are you recording live but also making sure the pre-records are ready and that there are earwigs i mean there's all these logistics and you know practical elements that you just don't think of until you have to and have to go through it and we were fortunate that people like Steve Gizicchi and El Guetta and Nick Baxter and Mary's, like we we had a great team to help us walk through it. But there is, even in the way, I wonder if you had this, like the way you schedule musical numbers, you can't do 10 musical numbers in 10 consecutive days. It will kill your cast. Yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely. What I, mean? yeah. I don't know how you guys, we tried to sort of <clears throat> limit it both in Lala La and Teen Spirit to like one a week if possible. Usually like on the Monday or Tuesday, because you're rested after the weekend, you're kind of, you can prep a little bit. You do a little prep session with a vocal coach. And then, boom, you come in strong, and then you carry that high of having achieved it for the rest of the week. And sometimes you don't have that luxury based right. on locations. But just that understanding, you only develop after having gone through it. And we kind of got lucky that it all went pretty well on the first one, and then we had the right crew to support us. But then you get excited. It's like, I now I know the people, you know, including vocal coaches. I mean, there's this whole apparatus you don't know about when you're crewing up a regular movie. And you feel armed and excited to sort of use that expertise again. Um, in addition to the fact like I just love it so much. Like when you're in the music studio, you feel like the world goes away. You're in this bubble, and it's pure creativity. And I love that I have no musical lexicon. Like that's the other thing. Like I'm, I love making music-driven movies because I can only comment it not from a technical point of view, but like this makes me feel sad or this makes me it's feel a pure emotional. Yeah, it's an emotional. <laughs> yeah, reaction. that little? What's that little instrument that makes me feel like I'm in the clouds? Do <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I deliberately like don't acquire a musical lexicon so that it can always be a lens that is never sort of filtering notes through a technical standpoint. Cause that can be deceptive and it's like perfection for technical sake. But if it's not achieving the thing that the audience wants to feel like they're not going to talk about falsetto and, you know, uh, Dolce, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they're going to talk about, Oh, that made me feel happy or like bouncing out of the theater. And the the test of making a movie and I'm, I'm sure your crew had this is like the most cynical, kind of, you know, non-music, uh, I'm here for the job kind of guys. They're singing songs they would never admit they like by the end of the day because you're playing it a hundred times on set. And that's yeah. that's my win <laughs> every day on a, you know, the best days on Teen Spirit were like the weekend. Sometimes we, we shot, you know, on the weekends for locations and we'd be playing, you know, lights, Ellie Goulding's lights all day. And, and Elle, to her credit, was just killing it. And instead of everyone getting sick of the song, everyone started singing it. Everyone, you could see people's feet tapping, and you just like those are great days. Those don't feel like work. Do you know what I mean?
1: I do. I I, I really I really really do. You know, it's funny. I taught you know the things that you learn. You know that go into it. I mean, you know, we were doing when we were doing Stars Born. You know, you know, Gaga has a whole like warm up routine for her voice. Yeah, and she is. She's a musician that understands her instrument. Yes. intricately and protects that instrument. And and. You know, so you're, you know, you have to, you know, she she has a very specific warm up, warm down routine that works, um, you know. So so she, you know, and she has to schedule she, around that. So I you imagine. schedule around it, but not only do you schedule around it, but like. So you know, so there's a specific warm up routine she has, and then she has to cool down for a period of time, and then, but it has to be pretty like minute to when she's going
0: to go right. perform.
1: So then you Easy know it's for like
0: a, the cadence of a movie that is lighting and all the yeah, rest. Yeah,
1: I mean that's exactly it. So, You know, for the ad department, <laughs> you Nightmare. know, you're like you're like okay, like we're in her like she, we've got 20 minutes because she, before she has to put her voice in front of the microphone because if we miss it then the whole process has to start again. Amazing. And then you lose another hour of your time. You know what I mean? And it's and it's um so you know it really It's like as if
0: makeup were like dissolving on site. it had to be reapplied. That's exactly
1: what it's like. <laughs> and it's this whole other element so that funny. you have to add into your day and and, and work around. And um What were you know, the great
0: musical days for you guys? Like what were the days you I remember? Mean, Sh-
1: Shallow was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean it was it was an unbelievable day. Um it was the first song I ever heard. For the film And it was I I was in Bradley's house And we heard the rough track Um, And it was actually A pop version Because the first version That was written for the movie Was written for the end Of the film Oh wow Well that's not true The way that it sort of worked Was she wrote they both collaborated with a bunch of different artists on a variety of songs. And I think they had ideas of where th- certain things were going to go. But mostly they were just writing a catalog of music for the movie. And then one day we actually sat around. There was like 15 of us in a room. And sh- and Bradley and, and Gaga played us everything. Really? And they gave us a sheet. Like I don't know on that any- recording I don't know that or anyone's they, ever they like about singing? This. They gave us a sheet. Of, of it was they went and pre-recorded all these songs, roughly pre-recorded awesome. them, and then they gave the producing group a sheet and said, "You know, where do you, wh- which mo- which songs do you think should be for certain moments?" And it wasn't that they didn't already know, um, and it, and a lot of the un, you know, and they kind of were looking for a consensus, that emotional reaction to. This song should be for wow. her first performance. Her, her performance yeah. here. This song should be for here, wow. and and it was it was amazing. But the first version of Shallow was a pop version um, that had this. Unbelievably sick beat <laughs> that I still will never get out of my head, and I'm still. Does that
0: song exist in it? It doesn't form? exist oh. anywhere.
1: and It's so sad because I, 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 mean, it exists like on, yeah, on. You got to release you know, it on somebody's iPod somewhere, but um, but you know, none of the, none of us got to ever have. No one had the music. Wow, that's it was amazing. like it was like one of those bombs that like ex, you know it's like you got sent a track to listen to, and <laughs> it and, it, and it, it like exploded right after you would listened to it. And it was literally style. like that. So it doesn't exist that's anywhere.
0: Incredible. Um,
1: in, in in any form, um. The, the, catchiest, hard- the catchiest the <laughs> catchiest
0: version from la uh, the catchiest song from la la land that probably was the reason that Lionsgate greenlit the movie because the rest of the music was too kind of obscure french musical for them <laughs> um although they embraced it and loved it um has never seen the light of day and probably will never <laughs> it's, it's <an> amazing <laughs> yeah. right it's amazing
1: it's amazing but you know so when so shallow was just like you just kind of knew the first time i heard it i was like this is amazing it was written yeah. for a different part in the movie and then bradley really wove it into being an integral part of the story and how she, how, you know, it became like the creation of a song and how two artists were together. And it became like really embedded in the, in the story of the film. Was so, there
0: always the notion that on their first kind of date with the peas outside the supermarket that they, that she would start singing something that would turn yes, into that performance, but yes. it just wasn't shallow?
1: It's not that it, um, it wasn't shallow until they, until with the music. Yeah. Cause the music, they, they she was writing music. We, we started prep and we had nothing. We had <laughs> no music. That's
0: insane.
1: No music. I mean. I mean I'm not even kidding. Um and how much prep did
0: you have? That's You
1: know like I like 8 to 10 weeks, you know? 8 weeks, 10 weeks.
0: So were you doing pre-records? Like was the goal to have pre-recorded everything by the time the shoot started or what was
1: They were going to the recording studio on weekends at night. I mean, he cuz he also was they pre-recorded. I mean, all of the singing was live. And so, but we also had to have I mean, we we share on at least on La La Land and, and on um and on Star Wars Born, we share the same sound yes. sound mixing team the the absolute best the best in the business by far. Steve Morrow. Steve Morrow is nothing that that <laughs> man cannot do. I love it. But he was literally like he had so many stems on set because she wanted because Gaga wanted the ability to change um, the music on the day wow. to her performance. So he was literally, and we had Jason Ruda. So between yeah, he and Jason fantastic. Ruda. They basically were mixing live on the day because she wanted to be able to, you know, switch it up, have the bass be louder, have this, drop the drums. Like, she wanted to be able to do that. And was that just
0: in her ear for the most part? It was just in her
1: ear, yeah. So the the music couldn't get out, which is another thing I want to talk to you about, like, because that's another layer of this, you know, is is like, how do you keep on an original musical, how do you keep um, with extras and with like, you know, how do you keep your music... Just trust. Like, how do you keep that music under wraps? Well,
0: well, that's also a crazy thing. But it's the even just, I think what people don't realize is often when you're shooting these great sequences of people playing piano and singing is the piano is muted so that it can't interfere so that, you, you know, the artists or the voice is, is captured live. And so it's all these people dancing to an artificial concert. It's just a very eerie sight to behold. Um, and for us, it was really important to also set the mood and make sure to play it really loud on both movies as often as possible and then let them seep into the to the live recording so that they get in the spirit and that everyone and the camera understands what's happening and you know there's an emotionality that you can't uh it's not prescribed with technical moves you have to you have to feel it um how do we keep it's funny we were more um we were more liberal with our music (laughs) you know people we did have mp3s we we sent them to studio and various team it um it's. I guess it's not that we weren't concerned, but it did. It just never got out. It was very, you know, it was within a very, very tight circle. Right. Um. But uh. But yeah, I guess no one ever recorded it on set. They could have. It was. It was. I
1: mean, we bagged phones. We had to, every. Everybody Smart. Had, we bagged phones, and and no one had cell phones on set. we are
0: smarter like, than we are.
1: No, I mean, but it was Gaga and everybody. It was just like they're so hyper. I mean, we would go to festivals and bring in real crowds, and I literally still can't believe to this day that stuff but we weren't projecting the music
0: out there was no social media of anything like even when you went to coachella
1: no because because the music was being piped into the right. in-ears which by the way since the bradley's character wow. doesn't wear in-ears and that's a big character trait like oh we had to God. also like you know like paint out um and uh but it was being piped into their ears so that so they were mm. still singing live but it was just going straight into steve morrow's mixing board wow Um but it wasn't being projected out into the audience so they barely could hear it yeah no, one, yeah, no one could hear it. was hear. the most
0: boring Gaga performance of all time. No,
1: no one could hear it unless you had, like, the headset on. Um.
0: So what was it like losing your director, you know, during prep to to not only being uh, present at music sessions with your actors but being the actor, being the the music recorder and kind of music producer because it sounds like the process was kept very tight. Like, how did you balance that time and how did you kind of make it all fit within a, a contained period of time?
1: You know, there's just certain artists and, and that – you work with and, and, you know, it feels like Damien and Max fall into the same bucket, which is that they just, they work harder than anyone else. They just, they they, take it on their backs. They just work harder than anyone else. And, and, you know, um, had a baby three weeks before, his (laughs) wife had a baby, his girlfriend had a baby three weeks before we started shooting. (laughs) He became a father three (laughs) weeks before we started shooting too. You know, he, he just, you know, we had an amazing AD. I mean, that's also like your crew totally. on these kinds of movies. Are, so It's so important to have the correct support. And, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the things that I find so impressive about Teen Spirit is I cannot imagine you had a ton of money to make that movie with compared to like, I mean, Star Bomb is incredibly ambitious, for the budget, sure, but we still were able to have <clears throat> Shelly Ziegler as our first AD, who's David O. Russell's first yeah. AD, who's and like she's Lynn a,
0: Norton, our script supervisor, and yeah, yeah they, it's like it's like it's, you've, you've got the these you've and got
1: the A plus veterans, which just and they 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 just make the experience easier because they 100%. come with that. And, and I, let's be know.
0: honest, both the stars born in Land were really ambitious for their budgets, and like people who are used to making much bigger studio movies think we're crazy from that realm. But there's studio infrastructure. We, yes. We were not starving in the same ways. You and
1: I are not doing our own legal documents. Correct.
0: <laughs> Which we're used to we're <laughs> Which too we've used done to on doing. plenty of other movies. we're yeah. both doing right now. <laughs> um, and that was, to, to go back to your initial question, that's what both gave me the hunger and excitement to do this movie and also the ability. I don't think that we would have necessarily been able to pull off Teen Spirit anywhere close to what we were able to do without uh the experience and relationships that max and i both brought to the fold frankly um and that's the magic of indie movies and interscope too interscope became this is their first movie as a production company you know they didn't just sort of develop the soundtrack and the album but they they were there on set every day they were a partner in the movie from the first minute i needed that like we all needed the sort of the the scope of that team otherwise we wouldn't have been able to pull off because it's a little gem of a movie that has taken on bigger kind of uh, scope because we have Ellie Goulding and Robin and these kind of songs and you know I don't know if you felt this but like we we made certain choices in the way we made the movie when you're in the music world the uh, the show the the huge screen was like most of our budget yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean we picked we figured out both the exteriors which lend sort of scale and the like Excel auditorium where we shot all the final performances and, and the lights those sort of big visual backdrops and the graphics company we kind of really went all in for the best of the best for those things to kind of fool the audience really early and say there are no limitations here we have the biggest pop songs of all time with some of the biggest sets and crowds and you know kind of visuals that you can imagine so then it's that thing of like let go you're in safe hands everything here is a choice there's no constraint obviously the constraints were insane and intense and and every day also helped that we had autumn Durald shooting it who just like mm. refused to shoot anything that's not beautiful and striking and and just like And she brings, you know, our crew had just done Phantom Thread and Star Wars. Like, when you have great people with a project that people understand has ambition and can go somewhere, you get better people than you would if it's just a job. And I think, I'm sure Star is Born, given who Bradley is and you and Gaga, like, you just attract a higher caliber of crew because it's like, this is special. And ultimately, we're all, what I love about even the words teen spirit, it has a frivolity that kind of mirrors the way we think about pop in a way, but also has a depth, which mirrors what pop can be, which is... It's just you in Liverpool, me in New York, like, you know, first generation thinking, I have no right to be involved in movies. I love it. Right. I, like, I want to burst through that screen like Purple Rose of Cairo and jump through and, like, be on the other side of it. But I never will. I don't even have a right to really dream about it because it's not It's not designed for me. There's mm-hmm. no ladder. There's, like, you can work hard, go to school, and you can be a lawyer, a doctor. But, but, like, you can't work hard and just go to the film business. You know what I mean? Right. Or that's what you you're sort of taught uh, young. When,
1: when you're taught, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. And
0: that's why it was important. So the first draft of the script had a girl in a town, which is the smallest town in the world, that is called Hum, which was like, this is a perfect setting for a musical a town called Hum in Croatia It has like 17 people. And uh, and ultimately, there were many reasons why we we transferred it, but it was still important that it feel like an underdog story. And the Isle of Wight, which many people have never even heard of, happened to be where Max's dad grew up. Um, and was, you know, it's a tiny provincial island off the coast of the UK where you're not taught, like you can go be a pop star in London. And that spirit to me is like the angst of having a dream and having a desire to escape, but not feeling like you really have that right to try to pursue that. It feels like an impossible chasm. And that's like the water in the movie without being too, you know, pretentious is like, is that sort of obstacle between us and our dreams. And so when she gets to London... There are both these temptations and seductions that we all kind of, you know, have to resist when suddenly start things start to go well, coupled with an aspiration that she is unsure she's able to achieve. You know what I mean? And that, that to me is emotional without having to put a fine point on it and have her talk about, you know, at length in long speeches. It's like I feel it from the way she jumps off the mic in that final performance and unleashes everything. And that's as much Elle doing that as who she is, um, as much as Violet, the character, doing it in that moment. And we all had chills that day we were like fucking floored because i don't think anyone you don't often i'm sure you had this even when you rehearse it you don't see what they're going to do, <laughs> do no. you know what I mean? they don't even know what they're going to do until they feel it and music provides that in a way that isn't about rehearsal and hitting your marks it's a whole other thing that you have to feel or not feel and just uh, seeing l own that character and own that stage was one of those magic moments that like justifies why we make movies. You no. Know?
1: And you, and you feel it. Like that's why it, you're like, it, it's, it's all, it's leading to that. And it's so worth it. Like when you get there, it's like, it's so, it's so worth it's it totally. in the
0: movie. Um, did you like when, when Stephanie stepped on stage for shallow for that, you know, the first time in the movie when you were, what, where were you in the audience there? Like, where were you? We behind? were
1: back. We, we, <laughs> were were back we were backstage and, um, it's actually a very funny story. So two, I had um, that happened to be – We shot all of that at the Greek. So, oh, really? So that the, the stuff for Shallow was was one of the few times on the movie that we actually shot it like a um, like a real movie. And what I mean by that is <laughs> yeah. that we weren't jumping on the Glastonbury stage or like <laughs> totally stealing shit totally, for Coachella. Totally. Like we weren't like stealing all these other things that we we had like five minutes literally to shoot. Like we actually had like two days to shoot that sequence because it was so involved.
0: We talked about stealing stuff all the time, and actually, it's really hard. And we never did. Because it's really hard to figure out how you're gonna jump on someone else's stage in the middle of a thing, and like, I'm, I'm in it's, awe that you guys pulled it it's off. Really it's really everyone's first intent, and never we talked about it for Lollin, never did it. We talked about it for this, never did it. It's yeah, just it's, hard. It's
1: really, really hard, and 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 so, but we actually had so we were at the Greek, and I had a couple of friends visit set who um you know um work in the business but aren't producers and they happened to be there that day and so like they were sitting in village and like they had the earphones on and then <laughs> you know so she's like sings it and you're just like and it's as magical as it is in the movie yeah. it's, it's just it's magic the whole thing is magic and um and and then at the end of it because we had all these extras that had been there all day and some of them um you know were like friends and family and and some of them have been recruited and so at the end you know she did a impromptu mini concert of like three of her songs. So she sat at the piano and she just sang like three songs. And we were all just kind of like standing there like clapping and – I, my two friends, my two friends were like, "You have the best job in the world." Yeah. I was like, "Let me tell you how many days in my life this actually gets to happen." I was like, "You have no idea what my job actually is. This is not it. This is the one day that this actually gets to happen." Uh-huh. we like, "You're like, this is amazing." But that's
0: the one day that justifies the other three sixty four of like deep pain. <laughs> You know, like when I talk to like younger people who want to be producers, like I make sure to emphasize just how much torture, acrimony, conflict, you know, it's a pretty thankless job often. And that's part of what I like about it. Like I like that we're in the shadows and we get to just kind of experience the whole journey, but without the spotlight on us, you know?
1: Well, let me ask a question on that because, yeah. you know, one of the things again that that crosses over on Stars One Spirit is that we both worked with actor directors and even yes. though Max isn't in Teen Spirit. Um, you know, there's something that, and I've I've worked with other actors who have directed, and and you know, it's a, you know, and you can see this. I think in the casting specifically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of of Teen Spirit because you you know, there's such authenticity, and all of those supporting players, they feel like real people. And what's amazing is that Elle feels like a star with those real people, um, even when she's sort of this regular girl, but the truth is like, that's the whole point. She's never this regular girl. Like there is something inside of her that enables her to become who she is. And so she stands out and, and that work, you know, that works. But like the casting of all of that to me comes from a deep understanding of being an actor. But so, so talk a little bit about working, like, how how you work because I feel like your a producer's relationship with a director changes from movie to movie, but For specifically, sure.
0: although it's always about trust, I find like yeah with the, Max the and key. then
1: also like you know what did he bring as a as an actor who I mean as a director who's also been an actor and familiar with that
0: yeah I mean so many things I always like to tease Max that um that he's a much better director than he's an actor um, which he <laughs> loves uh, but he's a really gifted actor. Um, who kind of, I think, has been lured into acting his whole life because he happens to be really good at it and magnetic on screen and, and incredibly compelling to watch. And yet, I think he's always been a filmmaker. You know what I mean? And, and I think what Bradley did with the Star Is Born is just staggering. Like, it is so deliberate and controlled and ambitious. And just like, to me, what I enjoyed most about the movie is actually just the, the breadth of the filmmaking, the specificity of it. Um, and I love when people kind of surprise you with that ability. Um, I think Max has always been a director who got sort of sidetracked with acting in a sense, and so that's part of why there was an effortlessness and a comfort and an ease from day one of the process that never felt like he was wearing a new hat, but it's kind of, he was allowed to unveil the hat he always had in him, you know? Um, But casting in a music movie of any kind is a massive challenge, and in a way you guys epitomize it, and Lalin has this, and ours certainly does is do you cast a singer who can act or an actor who can sing? You know what I mean? Absolutely. There's yeah. always that debate and that tension, and it's a very tricky one. And that's part of why Elle's in the movie is because Max was so committed to not having a familiar face so that that journey and that voice could be such a surprise. Um, and so we were looking at, you know, the way you look for unknowns in a movie like this is you look for singers first, you know? And so you go down that journey, we found some incredible, like very charismatic, International singers whose, you know, voice was kind of staggering coming out of faces and bodies you would never expect, and there was something very emotional about that. But then, auditions didn't match up, and you just, you cannot have a movie where it's really one role. I mean, it is Violet's movie; it's Elle's movie. You can't have that, especially with the first time, with not enough money and all this, not enough time. You don't have the time to work through that. It's got you need an actress. So then we looked at actors and unfortunately, the voices didn't live up to what we needed. And so we were kind of between these really great options of great actors with pretty good voices or unbelievable singers with okay acting chops. And it's sort of, you know, Max, for a movie that means so much to him, that he'd been working on for a long time, was sick, as was I. You know, like, this was, this felt like such a compromise choice either direction. And so it was, Berlin was coming around. And as you know, these movies require foreign sales. You got to announce them before the market. So, our foreign sales agent, Mr. Smith, who was also a financier and producer on the movie, just very kind of uh, confidently said, let's just announce the movie. And we announced it without an actor, which I'm not used to doing. And luck, all these things come down to so much luck. And anyone who doesn't acknowledge luck in the process, I think, is is deluding themselves. And we were incredibly lucky on Lala. And every movie I've made had as much unluck as <laughs> luck, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and this is definitely the case. It was uh, Elle's manager... Who's great? Just literally was like, "Oh, Elle's been dying to sing in a movie. You got to meet her." And I was like, "Oh man," she's, I, and I was I just cast Elle in another movie, and I've been a huge fan of hers forever. Did you work with her really early on, in Wonderland? Yeah, I worked with
1: the when she was nine, she, and yes. she was just the a way, professional then. Probably she was the most. I was literally she like, she's one of the most talented actors I've ever worked with. Not one of the most talented child actors, no, like one for of the most sure. talented actors at nine years old. I couldn't believe like what just innately comes out of her, but also like her technical ability is beyond. Like she knows about camera. She understood all of that at nine years old. She would be like, you know, I remember our DP would say, um, oh, your eye line is a little off. And she'd be like, do oh, you <laughs> want me to just like do this? And she would just like move her eyes like a, like a fraction and be like, yeah, that's right. Okay, great. And then she would come off stage and she'd be twirling and acting like a kid. But like when she was in front of that camera, she was like the consummate professional. It was It was mind blowing to me.
0: So I was like... Damn it, I'm I'm dying to work with Elle. I'm already you know I was lucky enough to cast her in something else. We hadn't shot that movie yet, but Max is gonna pass on this because she's too well known and it's in English. Um, and first we entertained, like maybe she'll speak Polish the whole time. You know? <laughs> oh wow! But Max, I think, was incredibly relieved because he knew Elle could sing. And obviously she was a like a, you know phenomenal actor. So he's like, okay, thank God. And I think as a reaction to not having a perfect option, he went in with more openness to a familiar face than he had started the process. And they met immediately, hit it off, and she was in the movie. And a week later, kind of the music, the movie was saved because without L, there is no movie. Even if we had made it, it's you can't imagine. Who can embody the sort of vulnerability and fragility of this character, but also that innate star quality that you're talking about? And I'm glad that came through. Cause Max, you know, we had BAFTA award-winning makeup designer from The Favorite who'd done incredible movies. And like I think she was felt frustrated because Max was like, no, let's no makeup. Her hair, they would just mess up deliberately. Like, she he wanted to feel incredibly real and not those movies where everyone's a band camp kid and smiling too big from the first moment and everything, they already look so glossed up that by the end there's no journey. You know what I mean? Right. There's no trajectory. By the end when she, when Elle in this movie's in the red tracksuit oh and she's got the dramatic makeup... You then think back to 90 minutes earlier and it's like, whoa, this has been a huge evolution. And it was really important to Max to not give Elle any help. You know, she's in sweatpants and dirty tracks. And I'm sure you as a Brit recognize, like, there's a real authenticity and cool to those costumes that feels like very real London in the best way. So
1: what's the what's the plan with the movie in terms of, because I feel like the other thing that I find fascinating is sort of the promotion of music movies and, like, how you put them out into the world and how you use those musical elements like what you, what's the thought on all of that stuff
0: well it's fun because you have more content to offer um and more ways and access points for audiences to engage with the movie um and if you look at you know la, la land to uh to greatest showman to bohemian rhapsody to a star is born um to pitch perfect to you know movies that have music as another component it's equally important that the music seep into the zeitgeist as it is for the movie to drive the music they sort of drive each other um and so you have to be strategic about when you're dropping songs and and releasing the album and there's a temptation like i want to release the album right now like i i love the original songs but i'm kind of addicted to listening to l sing them you know um, and you guys, I think, only dropped shallow before the before the movie we opened did it, in theaters, yeah. right?
1: We just we just did that a few days before, yeah.
0: And was that just to create a sense of anticipation, or that the engagement would peak right as the movie was in theaters?
1: Um, it was a it was a little bit of both. Um, uh, it was a little bit of both. I mean, it just we 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 hadn't wanted. I mean, Bradley had not wanted to. Release anything before um, the movie came out because he because the the, the soundtrack to him he wanted it to be experienced as you watch the movie, um, but you know the song had been used in the trailer and so it was kind of already out there a little yeah. bit and uh, and so in the end for a whole myriad of reasons we just collectively decided to release it like a week earlier nice. and um, which also made it eligible for. Grammys, which wasn't oh, okay. the only reason we did it. Which um, you won, um, but they won <laughs> yes, many of those Grammys. Um, but but all the rest of the soundtrack—it was literally that was the it was the cutoff, and the rest of the soundtrack was released day and date with the movie, and none of the rest of the soundtrack was eligible. And nice. so, um, but but mostly it was because the song had been in the zeitgeist, and you know it, it felt like it deserved its... And we didn't know early on, and I'm not sure how this was with La La Land, but we didn't know early on. Um which was going to be yeah. the song. Yeah. Like I mean, I it seems obvious now that it's shallow. Sure. Um but but the truth is like we did we really the didn't world know. Tells we were you, like yeah. you know, we were like is it going to be always remember us this way? Is it you know, is it her song? Is it the ju-? and then you know, because people really honed in on the love story of the movie, yeah. so of course it was shallow and it's such a great song, but I don't know that anyone expected it to be the sort of behemoth hit that it has become and um uh I mean, it's still the song that I had, like, the most emotional reaction to. Or there was plenty of stuff on the soundtrack that I sure. really love. But, you know, that's the other thing about music movies is that, be- like you said, because music is such an – emo, people have such an emotional reaction to that, you just – you don't know. You know, you're just not sure, like, what is it that's going to get under people's skin. And, you know, in La La Land, that, you know, that riff yeah, is the, just the – that theme—it's just—it's—it so, just stays with you, and it—and and, and you, you hear that, and it's so instantly identifiable as that movie, and you know transports you back to that experience the same way that a lot of great score, you totally. know, can also do, and and um.
0: But both of those, I think, are about the way that you experience it in the movie and then you relive it outside of the movie. Yes. You know, like that theme is beautiful. And Justin, you know, the, it, the first time we heard it was a really special moment many years ago, many years before the movie was made. Um, but it's really about the first time you hear it in the film and then the last time you hear it is, you know, Sebastian, Ryan plays it when he sees Emma in that club. Like the emotion oh. that that theme has then acquired with their life experience is like hopefully makes you cry. And the same is true of "Shallow." You hear it in the parking lot, and it's kind of a cool, promising song, whatever. And then she walks out on stage, and what that means for her as a character brings you to tears at like the thirty-five or forty-five minute mark of a movie. It's an exceptional moment, and that's the power of movies that have that have music and like the word I always come back to. People make fun. It was magic. Like that is that is what magic means. It's like an alchemy that's bigger than. Any technical component that you can't even prescribe. You don't even know till you're there until you experience it with an audience that it's working. You know what yeah. I mean? You know that it can be beautiful or well shot, but you don't know that it provokes an emotional reaction till you feel it with an audience. And I'm excited to see what what that is for our movie as well. how
1: did you how did Max? How did you guys pick? what songs to use like what was that process they were all
0: i mean matt that's just a credit to max max is a student of this stuff he's an academic and he loves it it's not he didn't say what's popular that i think can get a movie made or that people will like he's just like what songs do i love to listen to and, and what songs
1: do i want like what like why why little birds i mean i i i love that song yeah i, I mean i love i grew up in any like i love any likes and i'm like oh my god like i'm like that's I'm, I'm kind of like annoyed that that's now feels like it's like a presence in a movie in a real way because I'm like, well now I can't use that song in a movie because now it's been done. But it's you know it's like and I think about that song and it invokes such an immediate reaction. It makes you the music in in Teen Spirit really makes you smile. Like you really enjoy all of those performances and her journey singing them and where she's at when she's yeah. singing them. Um but, you know, you have such a – for somebody that is such a pop aficionado, how do – you know, it's like a catalog of options.
0: Well, it's funny. Max will be so psyched that you single out Little Bird because I think that's one of his favorites. And it's, you know, it's not the one that everyone, you know, keeps playing at parties these days. You know what I mean? It's not the, the like, the pop hit contemporary-wise that uh, – that Robin or Ellie Goulding is, you know what I mean? Just in terms of what uh, young kids are listening to right now. And yet there is, it is such an infectious song. And it's at a point in the movie where you're, you know, Elle's character is a little bit withholding and she's finally, you know, smiling more and the whole town is galvanizing behind her and it's just a joyful track and the whole band is coming together and it's just hitting a great rhythm. And he just loves that song. And it was in the script, like literally in every, if I was a fool, uh, Lights, Dancing Around, all these songs. I remember them in brackets in the first draft that I read in exactly the place with exactly the same shots. He hears it in his head and watches those images alongside it and just felt confident. That's the those are the kind of storytelling Well, story what's amazing moments. about
1: that, though, is that you know how you can have too much of a good thing. And yes. like with music, it's like, I'm one of those people that listens to a song over and over yeah, and over. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then you really have to take like a serious break from it because you can't actually hear it anymore. <laughs> um, but then when you come back to like a year later, you're like, oh, I remember why I love the song so much. But it's amazing that he stuck to those songs and didn't get incredible. bored of those choices by the time he finally got to shooting the movie that's kind of a testament to like just sticking with your gut and totally. knowing exactly what it is and why he picked them to begin with
0: and we really debated a lot of them and there were some other tracks that went away especially kind of closer to the end the the cigarette track at the end um uh don't kill my vibe came really late such and we were, a great song we were terrified if you don't have your finale you know what i mean like you don't have a movie and we were, we looked at every song and every iteration, you know, traditionally a movie like this would have a ballad, something a bit sort of more like, you know, both our, both of our other movies have that kind of more traditional, you know, Emma's Audition song and um, your last song in Star is Born, have that kind of more classically operatic ballad that we're used to. And Max really wanted to go in another direction. We couldn't find the right track. And just one day he called me in the most peaceful state I had ever seen him to date and ever since. I was like, I heard the song. I, I just was like randomly listening to a mix on Spotify or whatever. And it just came on. I'd never heard it before. And it's a song. And, you know, whenever a director tells you that, you're just worried because it's clearly not going to be the right thing. <laughs> and you don't know how to break his heart or her heart. And but he but wait, I said that
1: you, I love that you didn't say, and how am I going to get it? Like, that was the most impressive thing about the, the about a movie of this size. You're like, how the hell did you- I mean, I know because of the relationship with Interscope, but, yeah, like, but the fact what, that the, he wrote all of those songs in and you were able to get them all is Unbelievable. I don't think people realize like how hard it is to clear music. It's insane. I mean, like, like it's, Im- it's impossible.
0: It was and it was a little bit of acting as if until it came true. And and really Steve Gazicki, our music supervisor, is the like the hero in this. Um, and and Max, like people don't you like, you know, this people don't want to put their songs in stuff they're not gonna be proud of and proud to be affiliated with. And Max is cool. Elle is, you know, incredibly admired and well-respected. And everyone in our team had a kind of aura around them that made it feel safe. Um, And Annie Lennox is an icon and she Mm -hmm. was nervous. You know what I mean? All the artists wanted to stress test and make sure they weren't going to be embarrassed by their affiliation with this. The lucky thing, I guess, is, you know, poverty is also a virtue. Is like, we didn't have the type of resources and budget that you would normally need for these kind of songs and it was just we're incredibly lucky and grateful that these artists played ball with us otherwise we literally would ha- have had no movie and we kind of jumped off the cliff like we started the process of making it before we knew we actually could have the music and it's but I, I think that's, that's sort the, of isn't that what we do all the time it is, what we do, <laughs> it is what we do
1: but it doesn't make it any less ballsy I mean the truth oh, no, is like it, it is what we do but 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 music is I mean it's um, I mean I I you know, one of my favorite music stories is from you know this movie I made called Captain Fantastic, and the the Which kids the so kids all much, sing, you know, um, uh, "Sweet Child of Mine," oh, yeah. you know, at the end. And yep. but but we he didn't have that song. The song that he wrote into the script was was a Prince song, really. And yeah, and it's like it's a big moment in the movie huge. that moment. And so we, we and also there's we, a
0: huge difference in getting a track you know, as a source cue over images, which you can replace a million times in post versus on-screen performance, you're tied in, you're locked into that. You're so that's locked huge into that, risk. yes.
1: Yeah. And you, so you have to know it before you start shooting because you have to pre-record it. You have <laughs> yeah. to all the things that you have to do. Yes. So we, you know, we were... 50% through the movie, we still hadn't cleared Prince. It was like, it's never going to happen. <laughs> and literally, all Matt and I would talk about is, what the hell's the song going to be? What's the song going to be? What's the song going to be? We listened to song after song after song. And just nothing landed yeah. for him. Like, nothing felt right. And then,
0: you know, and then part that- of you get stressed. You're like, just pick something. But the other, you know, hopefully bigger part is like, no, it has to be right. And he's right to hold out for the perfect thing. Because when it comes, it's going to be worth it. But you're just like, Shh, we need a fucking song.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then at what point do you just say- Okay, well, we're just getting it. Whatever. I mean, yeah. that was the situation we were in, and yeah. and because we had to, you know, we had to pre-record. Yeah, same. We had to pre-record. That's you know because we were shooting it on the top of a, you know, on top of a cliff with like wind <laughs> and like you know what I mean and totally. and, you know, and and uh, um you know so we had to pre-record you know all of the, you know the song and and um it was it was uh and we and we literally like pre-recorded it the week before we shot we shot it like we we took it down to the wire and it feels like that song was always intended to be. I mean, of course, like once we found it, we were like, oh, but of course. And the same with, I feel like with the end song in Teen Spirit, you know, you're like, but of course, I mean, the song, it's like the lyrics are like, they're so what the movie is like saying and like everything about it. I'm like, it's the perfect song. It has the perfect energy. She gives the perfect performance, but it's amazing how sometimes you can arrive at that later in the process. Totally. And it defines what the movie is.
0: And that's like luck again being matched by hard work. Like Little Bird, you talk about Little Bird, the lyrics of that are perfect for who Elle is and what her character is going through in a very specific way. And Max and Elle really went through a journey together to integrate her into the script and her life experience. Like this is very much a character they created together and and the music stayed the same, a lot of the visuals stayed the same, but the character changed a lot when Elle came into the process because she's brilliant actually and a great storyteller and has great instincts and infuse a lot of her personal ideas and, and tensions in, into the character. And both Little Bird and Don't Kill My Vibe are, like, a real expression of who Elle is in a way. Who's, like, this sort of perfect angelic creature on one hand. And yet, like, a punk rock, very strong, like, don't try to box me in force. Was um, there
1: anything that she didn't want to sing? Was there anything when 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 she became part of the character that just felt like this doesn't suit her? that this doesn't suit her her voice, her her sound. I mean part of the reason I asked that is because you know Bradley finding his finding Jackson main sound, a big part of that was also, well, what can Bradley Cooper sing? Yeah. It wasn't just
0: 100%. it wasn't just
1: it was sort of like Bradley Cooper as a non-singer has to convince the world, the audience out there that he's a musician that is become an iconic musician. And so what what how, like, what musical Style really lends itself to that, and and he found that during the pre-production and working with artists, it took him that process of working with Gaga and like figuring out where does Bradley Cooper feel right. most comfortable as Jackson Maine in what genre, and like what was that collaboration with Elle like?
0: Uh, well, a hundred percent. That's another thing I think people don't realize, and I didn't realize until I'd gone through it. Is you know, people even the best singers have a vocal range. You know what I mean, and to Go out of the bounds of that vocal range is very dicey and complicated, and and doesn't often yield good results. Um, and luckily, L is really talented, and with Marius and vocal coaches, we really like trained that instrument. But there were she had opinions on music, and there were a couple tracks um, that I think we all, you know, felt vulnerable about that she felt strongly weren't shouldn't be in the movie, and and they're not. Um, but the one that is unbelievably challenging is lights. Lights is a deceptively crazy challenging song it's challenging you know even if you're ellie goulding it's impressive that she that ellie pulls it off um so it's a it's a hard song for a pop star let alone uh an aspiring one and an actress playing one uh so there was a lot of conversation of is this just too hard should we find another song and l l is like an olympic athlete who was like kind of born an olympic athlete so she's never known her limitations and is that like she's just so used to being able to do everything in a kind of innate way that I don't think she's ever daunted by anything. Like she's always up for the challenge. I've never on anything I've ever done with her. I've never heard her express like fear or concern or like, you know, a sense of like, I can't do something. It's just like, it doesn't come from any overconfidence. It's just like, she's always just done what people have challenged her to do in a way that's really like kind of unbelievable. Cause I'd be terrified to to even sing like a a hum. Um, But lights were like, can she pull it off? And Max really fought for it. And I, it's a song I really love. Like that's where like my idiocy about music kind of came in a little bit. It was just like, no, this is the song. When I listen to the album, I listen to it three times in a row. Like, please, can we keep lights? It's so, and he had timed that whole sequence as long as a huge kind of lead into lights that had a, a very precise visual orientation that I was just like really scared about losing. And Max rightfully fought for it. And luckily Marius is able to pull it off And L, just trained and trained and trained. And by the time we shot it, it didn't feel hard. Like she just crushed that song in the day. And that's one of my favorite days of the shoot because there was that like apprehension about it. And then she like nailed it, nailed the dive, you know, and it was, uh, it was fun to all collaborate on those discussions. And those debates in the music studio are part of the best like highlights of making these movies. Cause you're just talking about music, which is a, just the love, you know what I mean? There's nothing, kind of practical about it other than just like what makes you feel great and what could you pull off and it was it was amazing
1: do you feel addicted to trying to continue to make music-driven films 100 i know me too like right? do, i was to <laughs> say do you let's
0: do it um do no it. it's an addiction like that's like the, i would
1: actually be fine if that was all i made for the rest of my yeah. life was like music-driven movies and, and musicals there's so
0: many different kinds you know what i mean like i'm working on a lot of different stuff right now that traffic's in different musical spaces and some are you know looking at Famous musicians of a different time and some are just totally imagined and I'm talking to a filmmaker later today about taking an album and sort of turning it into a movie. You know what I mean? It's like, it is, it's both really lucky, right? Like we're in a moment where it's very hard decision to go see movies. You know, it's the hardest, I think, entertainment consumption decision in the business. Um, And so we're really lucky, the thing that we've just fallen in love with, by pure luck. Like, I imagine that Bradley called you because you guys hit it off on Place Beyond the Pines. Is that right? Yeah. Um, And I'm on Teen Spirit because I met Max for coffee about a completely different movie. Like, it's by total fortune and chance that we're doing these movies. Um, But it's also good luck that, like, people are going to see these movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason. Bohemian Rhapsody – had the journey it did, and *Star Is Born* and *Greatest Showman* because of the music uh as much as the filmmaking and and the acting and all the rest. And but so that
1: musical element, it just it, it, it's it's yeah. it's it's that thing. It's like you said earlier on, it provides the same um the same elevation to some of these stories that you know visual effects do. And the reason totally. why the, the reason why everybody goes to see Marvel movies and all of those superhero movies is because of that visual spectacle. And and it's amazing to be able to. Elevate dramatic stories with music in the same way that visual effects do, and for me, that's so much more a world I'd rather traffic in in terms of producing. Um,
0: Couldn't agree more. And
1: it's and it's you know it's it's there's such a satisfaction. Um, there's such a satisfaction to that, and and. Uh, I mean, who doesn't want to just listen to a great soundtrack?
0: I know. And I also think we all like the secret of both Hollywood and the music industry is every filmmaker wants to be a musician and every musician wants to be in movies in a weird way. And so that's part of like and then those relationships are so fun. Like I we we had too much fun on Teen Spirit. Like as hard as it was, and we really Max worked so hard. The whole crew worked really hard. It was not an easy Film to make and like we had we started with a certain number of days and they went down because we did devote resources to the things we felt were like you know uncompromisable, um but it felt like a family making something that came out of a pure place and was just joyful to talk about. And no one was there for the wrong reason. It was just like a really like when we look back at EPK materials, we're like, oh, that was a really happy time and living in London and all of it was great. Same thing, Lalin was a very pure experience of a lot of people who love each other still and are still in touch you know making something special i think that comes from implicitly music movies create a, a warmth and a joyfulness and a spectacle that like bring people together and create these amazing experiences and so sometimes i feel like we're the luckier ones like the audience hopefully gets a big experience that they have a big journey on and want to replay like i think what's cool about teen spirit it is it max gets bored easily so it moves at a very quick pace it is 90 minutes you know what i mean is fast and has a lightness, but then a surprising depth and emotionality. But I hope it's an it's a pop album that people play over and over and over and over again. Like I never get bored of watching it, and I hope people don't also. Um, and that's sort of how I feel about making these movies, is I hope I never get bored of it because it's just like I feel like we're the lucky ones standing backstage. You know, when Ryan and John Legend played their concert in Lalland, we we had the L-ray. Bunch of extras and a ton of friends, and it was like, oh, we just get treated to a John Legend, Ryan Gosling concert for a full day. Like, this can't be. And it was a Saturday. I was like, this is not work. You know no, what I mean? Like, that's literally how
1: I felt on <laughs> a star is born every day. I was like, I was like, I get. I mean, I grew up on Gaga. I was like, I get to hear Gaga sing. Like, I, one of my favorite Gaga moments was when I went to her house. And we had our first big music meeting. There was like eighteen people sat around her kitchen table, and I was sat next to her. And she does this thing where 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 her voice is her superpower. Yes. and it's and in some ways, like it's it's you know she she owns that in a real way, and yes. and she knows it. She knows, she knows her it, power. She knows her power, but she but she also uses it as I'm sure she's had to as a woman in the music yes. business yes. to basically you know, get her, you know, have her opinions and her voice listened to, um, when it comes to producing and when it comes to, you know, everything surrounding the making of her music. And so we were all sat around this kitchen table and she says, she says, you know, she goes, I want to play you something. And she plays sort of like a piece of music and then she stopped it and she goes, you know, but I'm thinking that maybe the chorus goes something like this. And then she just starts belting out this, whatever, I forget what song it was. And you're, it's it's literally like the it's like an earthquake is happening you're like grabbing onto your chair and the <laughs> ground is shaking because her voice is so powerful and you're like oh my god this is the most exciting thing i'm ever going to do and i'm sat right next to her and she's like blasting me with this like <laughs> instrument that she has um and i'll never forget that and i was like i just want to be around this every yeah. single day and then being able to fuse that with making narrative storytelling Yes, um, is it's unbelievable it's just it's like the best of the it's best it's the best of the best.
0: But you're my inspiration and thank dude, you for I doing love this. talking to you. This is the, we could go on for another like <laughs> Let's three go get a hours. Drink. Um, I'm super excited about the <laughs> movie for doing this and enough.
1: um yeah it's awesome. I'll talk to
0: you soon. You show the lights that stop me turn to stone. You shine it when I'm alone and so I tell myself dude I'll be dreaming when they're cause thanks for listening talk spirit is brought to you by q code leaker street LD entertainment and automatic don't forget to rate review subscribe see you next week